I remember a friend of mine I was talking to who was a coach and he was telling me he had just signed this new client and this new client was the CEO of a fabrication company. And I said, aren't we all kind of CEOs of fabrication companies? <laughs> like that's what we do all day, every day. We're just fabricating crap all day, right? So if it's all fabricated anyways, then it's like, cool. Sometimes I feel like a God, sometimes I feel worthless and it's all BS. And this is why, and you know this about me, this is why my favorite Avenger character and my Avenger avatar in, in the Avengers is Deadpool, because Deadpool is the only comic book character that knows he's in a comic book. He's the only one that knows it's all BS, that none of it's real. That's why he breaks the fourth wall and talks to the audience. And if all of us, myself included, could, could work on being 5% more aware that we're in a comic book or you know on this spinning rock or in a computer simulation, which I believe there's some truth to all of that stuff, uh, then it allows us to maybe not take these things so seriously and, and, and even more powerfully not to be so hard on ourselves. If, if there was one piece of suffering that I could remove from the planet, it would be how effing hard we are on ourselves. Hey everyone, I'm bringing you something super special today. One of my most favorite people on earth, a repeat guest for a discovery and a deep dive into self-love, maybe the most important trait that we talk about in the becoming a fulfillionaire ecosystem. He once built a company in partnership with NASA. He built a luxury car service before Uber was a thing. And now he runs Playful Prosperity and a bunch of other coaching programs that help people become more playful in their lives. And he has had quite a storied history with thoughts of suicide, depression, many things in his past that we're going to talk about today, and a lot of super actionable strategies. So if you feel like you're really in life right now on the highs or on the extreme lows, please watch this episode in its entirety. Hit that like button, hit the subscribe notification bell if you love this Becoming a Fulfillionaire content. I hope you do, and if you have any advice on how to make it better, go ahead and hit me in the comments, or if there's anyone you'd like to see on the show that you think really vibes well with the show, hit that in the comments as well, and welcome Jason Goldberg. Let's get into self-love here. Cool. And you know, you and I have known each other through uh, some serious ups and downs in our lives. And can you kind of inform the audience and catch them up about the most extreme down that you went through just before meeting me? Uh, so, wait, do you mean my divorce? Or my, my yes. split? Was that right well, before I met you? And I, and I really, you know, if you want to, kind of like, I think it would be beneficial for them to be brought into a time period where the self-love uh, maybe gap that you might have had became really apparent. So that might be a long time before the divorce that you went through just before I met you a couple years ago. Maybe it was during the period of building all these businesses. So I, I think it would be really valuable for them to start with hearing, you know, not just the joyful, playful guy you are now, but the experiences that you've had that have allowed you to be that person more consistently. And then we can go through and kind of build maybe some childhood memories, you know, how you became the clown and, and the funny guy and, and where that all came from. But I think starting with the darkness. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's uh, I actually kind of take issue and maybe it's just me personally. Um, I t and you're not saying this, I just in general, um, I take issue with the fact that there's a binary, you have self-love or you don't. Um, I think it's not only on a continuum. I think that that continuum can fluctuate big time day to day, depending on what's going on in your life and what tools you have and how you're equipped and how you handle it. And so 
when I was thinking about like, you know, the gap, the gap there, there's still a gap at times. Like it's, that's just kind of the, the human experience because we've had for, you know, eons and eons and generations and generations, uh, this, this belief that there was something we needed to do to be worthy or valuable enough or whatever it is in the world. And I don't think that that's a thing where it's like you flip a switch and then it's like, well, I'm done with that. That that's gone. Uh, maybe it is for some people. I haven't gotten to that place yet and I'm okay with it. And, and that's, that's actually my, my work for myself is, um, the navigation and acceptance of when the gaps occur as opposed to immunity from experiencing the gaps. To me, that would be so unrealistic. I'm going to totally detour from where we were going to go because I love what you're saying. Can you tell me more about when you find these little gaps on the continuum? Um, and I, I kind of, I'm building a picture of what you're saying here where it's like, maybe it's like a, a river and this river is constantly needing to move and there's rocks in the way. So the water moves a different way. And then there's like a waterfall and all these little detours are, are just little gaps where you're like, okay, you know, can you tell me more about some of these gaps that you've run into that you think a lot of people experience and a, how you navigate that, but B, what are the effects of detouring past these things versus going into them? And, and maybe some concrete experiences of that. Yeah. So yeah, the, the, the implications of that, the implications of, of kind of going um, around instead of in on these things uh, is that the, any relief from them is temporary at best. Uh, the energy expended to get to the relief is tremendous. Um, and, and you're kind of just waiting for the other shoe to drop, or at least for me, like I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, okay, I'm, I'm in a good feeling now, but at any second that could go away again. And so for me growing up, I mean, always being the, the chunky kid, always being the heavy kid from really like the time I was, I can remember being in like kindergarten, first grade, I was, I was pudgy, right? Like pudgy is one of those words that like everybody can see. Everybody knows what pudgy looks like. Uh, I was pudgy from, from that age, probably five or six years old. I was already kind of pudgy. And then it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I just kept gaining more and more weight and um, a lot of that was because, you know, my mom is a single mom. Uh, uh, she raised me as a single mom and I'm an only child. There was a lot of like, you know, takeout and pizza and it was just easier for her. She wasn't, you know, she didn't really cook and, and that was, that was what we did. And so I had really bad eating habits, uh, didn't do any physical activity at all. I would just like sit inside and play video games or watch TV or whatever. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse over time. And, and, you know, uh, as we know in society in general, but especially with teenagers, when there's anybody who's different, it's not just people who are fat. It, it happens to kids who are super skinny as well in school. Anybody who's different or who is on one side of the polarity or, or another, um, they're going to be made fun of or ridiculed and whatever. And so, so I had all that stuff. So I basically had reinforcement from a very young age. So, so even younger than that, even before birth, I had reinforcement that I wasn't enough because my, my dad left my mom when she was pregnant. So I was born into not enoughness as far as a mindset is concerned, right? I didn't know it yet because I didn't have the, the mental capacity to, to understand or verbalize that yet. But there was, there was you know, a, a sense of uh, you need to do more to be deserving of love right out of the womb. And so that carried on where it's, if, if that big of a hole feels like it exists for you, uh, just like if you're hungry, you do anything you can to get food. If you're thirsty, you do anything you can to get water. If you don't feel like you're loved or, you, or you're deserving of love, you do everything you can to prove to yourself that you deserve love and to get love. And that can manifest in healthy or unhealthy ways. And so that was, that was actually, it's funny because the two things that I think I am 
that I feel are two of my greatest gifts now, and every gift has a shadow, and we can talk about that if you want to, but, but my two greatest gifts right now were born out of necessity because of this gap of not feeling self-love. So those two things for me are empathy and humor, right? So growing up, uh, you know, being in school and, and not being able to be like um, a, a love interest of the girls in school and wanting to feel connection with those same girls, I realized like, hey, if I just like listen to them when they have problems and like, and I'm there for them and like I just, I, I help in some way, I feel a connection. It's not the exact connection I want, but it's a connection. And so I developed empathy to fill that gap of that. And then for everybody else that where it wasn't like a romantic kind of interest with, with the girls, it was, well, how can I get attention and be valuable in the room? And it's make people laugh. And so humor and empathy were developed as coping mechanisms and eventually became the thing that I was able to channel into the work I do and kind of what I do now. But, but it really is, that was all developed to try to get evidence that I am deserving of love. And if, um, if I didn't have those things, then I'm just kind of worthless for, for lack of a better term. And I love what you're saying here. And we, I would love to dig into this more. Uh, two things that I would love to, to wrap up on uh, and to dig deeper on, which is you said every gift has a shadow, of course. And, and similarly, every shadow has a gift. And so it's really, do you want to look at the sun side or the moon side? Uh, I always say like sun baby, moon baby, like positive, uh, positive side or negative side. And even, you know, more from that, I think it's not like good or bad. It's just what you are. It's the chemistry of what you are. It's like, uh, you know, humans and uh, ammonia don't go together very well. But ammonia is really great for some things. And so it's more of like a chemistry of realizing who you are. And this is where self-love comes in, where you even saying that. Uh, tell me more about the process of discovering that these shadows of your life were actually the gifts. Like, how did you find that out? What process did you go through? And how can other people start on that journey? Yeah, well, I think I think the kind of the important thing to look at here, it's actually the other way around first, is that it was I had to recognize initially that what what were gifts for me could also be shadows, right? So like um, uh, if if you're doing something, and, and I noticed this years and years ago when I was like diving into this, um, if you notice that you feel like you you do a lot for people and you feel like they don't reciprocate and there's any kind of resentment for that, or if you feel like um, people should be doing something or treating you a different way than they're treating you, um, or if, um, what's another good example of this? If you, if you, if you find yourself constantly saying, um, well, I would never do that to you. Like you did that to me, I would never do that to you. What could be happening there is where you think you're a giver or you're empathetic or you're um, altruistic or you're selfless. You, you are, right? That, that's in there. And it's a both and, not an either or. Um, and there can be something going on there that uh, a guy named Dr. Robert, Robert Glover calls covert contracts right? Covert contracts. So you're doing something and it's actually not in the malicious sense, but it's actually manipulative, right? It's because you really want this thing in return. And then when you don't get this thing in return that you're seeking, because again, the thing you're seeking is not just for fun. It's to fill a gap of where you don't feel loved or enough. If you find yourself getting mad because people aren't doing things for you the way you do them for them, that's a great sign to say, okay, you know what? As giving as I really feel like I am in my nature, 
left unchecked, that's going to become something where I am then resentful of people for not reciprocating the way that I did, right? So, so it's really, it's all about bringing consciousness to this thing. So if I'm like, if I'm pouring coffee into a mug, there's nothing wrong with me pouring coffee into a mug. That's great. And if I'm not conscious of what I'm doing and I just keep pouring, then coffee just goes all over the floor and it just makes a mess everywhere. So consciousness is the key. It's, it's not even like, for me, it's not even, the goal for me is not even the presence of self-love it's the absence of resistance to the times I don't feel self-love, right? Does that make sense? So it's not, for me, it's not about like, how do I get, how do I get this thing called could self-love? We, you want to coin it self-peace right now? Yeah, it could be, right? It's, it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's not something, it's not something to attain. It's what's left over when you stop fighting what you think is holding you back from attaining it. Right. So something that came up for me in meditation um, just this past weekend, just uh, randomly in, in meditation, this, came, this thing came up was what if there's nothing to avoid and what if there's nothing to attain? Right. The space in the middle between there's nothing for me to avoid feelings, rejection, uh, abandonment, uh, negativity, um, a scarcity, poverty, uh, loneliness, whatever it is, if there's nothing to avoid and there's nothing I need to attain, money, success, fame, love, whatever it is, then what's left in the middle is where, where I want to be. Does that make sense? That makes so much sense. And okay, so now I have another question. This meditation, whatever you did, sounds like transcendental, like really amazing. And I don't mean to imply like transcendental meditation, just like that's the word that came to mind. They like don't really get to corner that word. They don't get the market yes, cornered on that word. They don't own that word. <laughs> so let me ask you, um, I know a lot of people have trouble keeping steady meditation practices, and I know that you are a very unconventional person. To even hear you say that you were meditating last week and came with this breakthrough is really inspiring and it makes me want to meditate more, and I'm sure other people watching. What does a meditation practice look like for you, and, and how do you stay inspired to do it? Yeah, it's such a good question, man. So... So over the years, I have done every kind of meditation you could think of, uh, and you probably have as well, like, you know, guided meditations or just sitting in silence or focusing on the breath or mantra-based or transcendental, which is mantra-based, uh, Vipassana, like uh, everything you could think of, I've done some version of it. And they're all great. There's none of them that I was like, oh my God, that sucked. That was the worst thing ever. But what, I, what I've noticed for myself, and I still will switch it up once in a while, but what I've noticed for myself, what's been the most effective for me the most recently. So let's say I've been doing this form of meditation now for maybe uh, three months, th three or four, probably since the beginning of the year-ish, I've been doing this kind of new form of meditation. And this, and this, I say this form of meditation, there's no form, it's just what I'm doing, um, is sitting in silence. And so I don't have any guided, I don't have any music, I don't have any mantras, I'm not doing any of that. And what I've kind of coined this is, is uh, recess meditation, okay? Recess meditation. So I'll tell you what that means. I've always had this misconception, or maybe it's not a misconception. This could be helpful for some people and maybe just not as helpful for me, is that meditation was supposed to be like, uh, like nap time, right? Where the mind gets quieted and the thoughts slow down and we get into this like blissful Zen state. And that's, that's great. For a lot of people, that's the point of meditation. And I, and I, I wanted that as well, or at least I thought I did. So it's kind of like nap time. Like how can I be awake and napping at the same time where my brain just like slows down? 
what I started realizing that was even more effective for me, and it goes back to what we were talking about here, like, you know, kind of the, you know, the obstacle is the way or the, the, the way the way out is through or, you know, all these things that we were talking about going in instead of going around is that instead of thinking about meditation as nap time, let's think about schools like elementary schools or, or kindergartens or whatever. You have nap time and you have recess. Okay. Two core tenets of pretty much any early stage educational program. Nap time and recess. When the kids are on recess, there is usually a fence around the playground, right? There's some kind of boundary there. And for the most part, the teacher can kind of sit there and do whatever he or she wants. The kids are going to run around. They're going to play. They're going to jump. They're going to do whatever. As long as somebody isn't stabbing somebody else in the eye, they kind of can do their own thing, right? And then when it's time, she goes, <laughs> okay, guys, we're done. Let's come inside. Flip that around and look at nap time. What does the teacher have to do at nap time? Teacher has to regulate the temperature in the room. Teacher has to make sure the lighting is a, a certain place. Teacher has to make sure everybody's properly spread out and has their blanket and their pillow. Teacher has to make sure there's no kids disrupting people. Teacher has to make sure that when she wakes them all up, she does it in a way where they're not cranky. Teacher has to manage so much around nap time. So instead of me trying to have my meditation be nap time, what if they're recessed? What if I sit there and say, okay, anger, sadness, fear, happiness, joy, bliss, you're all welcome, run around, tire yourselves out, I'll be here if you need me. And that's been my new meditation. And so when the anxiety comes in, instead of saying, oh, oh God, I'm feeling anxious. Okay, mantra, mantra, follow the breath, follow the breath, follow the breath, calm your mind, slow everything down. It's just like, cool. So you're here. Awesome. Anybody else want to join? And, and when it becomes a thing where I have this conversation almost with these feelings as they come in, and this was something based off of something I read from a guy named Jeff Foster. He has this poem that he wrote where he talks about having a conversation with sadness and sadness says to him, you know, like, I'm really sorry. I know that, you know, it's not great for me to be here. I know it's not, it's not what you love to feel, but like, I'm really sorry. And his response to him is like, well, who told you that? Who told you like you weren't allowed here? Who told you you had to leave? Like who told you you had to be out of here quickly? And he turns and says to happiness and who said you have to stay? Like you don't have to stay happiness and you don't have to go sadness. You're all welcome here. And so that's, that's what I've been bringing into my meditation and it puts so much less pressure on me to have this 15 or 20 minutes where the goal is to be zenned out at the end. And that's been really helpful for me. That one answer alone is, is one of the most profound answers I've ever gotten in any show so far. And I, I wanna encourage everyone watching this right now to pause and rewind four minutes and just listen to that one more time and then to pause and then shut this down, subscribe, hit the like button, all that good stuff, notification bell, and then go do that for yourself. And maybe maybe we'll whip up something uh, together, creating some sort of guided recess meditation, which could be really fun in the future. And it's just such a Jason Goldbergism, in my opinion, to have such a such like a perfect analogy and, and such a beautiful picture that you paint of it. And it really describes, I think, what what I at least, and, and maybe a lot of us are trying to do with mindfulness practices in general is just that acceptance. But again, as with all of Jason's teachings, it's just like so simply and hilariously laid out that it, it's almost impossible to not want to do that. Like I actually, I even want to pause the interview and now go do a recess meditation. It's, it's fantastic. So back to the beginning, walk me through you said that there were these these gifts that you had developed through the years. 
And you said that you you learned these because you were looking for love, you were looking for acceptance, you were looking to fit in to society. And I can also relate uh, my baby name all the way up through being maybe a teenager was Chunk. And that was like what they called me. I, I actually always thought it was funny because of the Goonies. So it actually it actually worked for me and I didn't feel embarrassed about it because Chunk was so awesome. Walk me through uh, adulthood with these gifts, maybe before you started to really understand that they had shadows. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was it was really funny, man, because it it's uh, uh, what is it? New, new level, same devil is the saying. Uh, and so it, it was like even though I, I wasn't a five-year-old or a six-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 16-year-old or a 20-year-old, getting up into my mid-20s, even in my late 20s, this stuff was all still present and still wreaking havoc in the same way, right? And, and in the same way, and it's, and it's interesting because this is not to say that you can't be wildly outwardly successful while still possessing these things. I wasn't like destitute. I wasn't living on the street. I wasn't living paycheck to paycheck. Like I had a really good job in my 20s. I was in IT. I was making six figures in my mid-20s. Like had a, a beautiful car, beautiful house, like, you know, seemingly perfect relationship, all the things outwardly that make sense. And yet I was still struggling. So what I had gotten really good at because I have such an analytical mind. What is, is what does that look like? You said you were still struggling. So you just described to me essentially like what most people would consider a perfect life. When you say you were still struggling back then, what became apparent to you that let you know you were struggling? I mean, I just look in the mirror, first of all. So so by the time this was happening where I'm like in my mid to late 20s, this is where I'm at my highest uh, physical weight. So we're talking 330 pounds, so 130 pounds more than, than I am now. Uh, and the I had a very high stress, high pressure job, but what I was doing to myself was far worse than anything my job could do to me. And so for me, you know, self-soothing with food and, and having it be where like, if I knew I was gonna have a really tough day at work, then it would mean it was okay for me to go through the McDonald's drive-through and get two bacon, egg and cheese biscuits because like I need to preemptively self-soothe myself um, because I, I didn't know of any other way to cope with what I knew was gonna be a really stressful day. Right. So that's like one little example. Anger was another big one for me. Right. Just like lashing out in anger. And I'm actually changing my relationship to anger now, to be honest. This is like literally in the last week. Uh, but but even just like un, unchecked, um, un, unexplored anger. Right. As opposed to like anger is one thing, but like unexplored anger is an entirely different thing. So the anger thing. Um, stress around money, even when there was money in the bank, like there was no actual need for it. There was no evidence for it. Um, being a workaholic, being a people pleaser, like all these things were just apparent every single day. And I thought at that time that the root of all of it was my physical weight because I really was very depressed about the way I looked. Uh, I would, you know, my, my now ex-wife would find me probably at least a few times a month, if not more, uh, like laying on the floor or sitting on the floor in the closet in tears because like the clothes I'm wearing are just so tight and so uncomfortable. And it's, you know, I have to dress for work, you know, pants, and slacks and, and a button down shirt. There's no give. And so everything's just digging into my skin. And I just like, I had so many suicidal thoughts, man. I was just like, screw this. I don't want to be here anymore. Like that was just my everyday occurrence, even though all these outward things were looked great. 
when you think back to that moment, maybe I'll, maybe some people watching this are there right now. The the shadow side, as you say, of the gifts that you had, the humor that you had, the the playfulness, the ability to help everyone else be more playful. I'm assuming those were all there even then, right? Yep, absolutely. And so was your mind at the time more focused on those gifts and and tried to stay away from the shadows? Yeah, I, th- I think what it is, I th- yeah, I think I think you nailed it. I think what it is is that if you're if I'm still trying to um, solve for X in the equation of my enoughness, then me focusing inward at all, if I don't know any better, me focusing inward at all is a waste of time. Me taking care of myself, me, it doesn't matter. Focus all of your attention outward with these gifts, right? Focus all of it outward because that's your fastest route to getting approval and getting love. And once you get the love and approval, then I don't have to do any work on myself, right? Because it's all just coming in from the outside. And then of course that always lasts forever or seven minutes and then it goes away and you're looking for your next hit. So, so yeah, that, that was the thing for me is that it was, it was focusing, it was cultivating, harnessing, honing and focusing these gifts on other people in the hopes that just like those covert contracts in the hopes that I would get the love back in return that would finally make me feel like I was enough. And then what was the turning point? What was the catalyst? There, there were a lot, right? So just like with my weight loss, there were a lot of, you know, I have this story in, in Prison Break in my book that's like the opening chapter about the day that like, the day that I realized something needed to change in my life regarding my physical weight. But it's not like I was 330 pounds and thought everything was great and felt amazing. And then this one thing made me realize like, wait, you got to change something. It's like, no, I've known since I was, you know, a kid and a teenager, like, this is not good. You don't feel good. You don't like the way you look. You don't like the way you feel. Like it it wasn't like this one wake up call that came out of nowhere. So I say that to say it was the same thing with this. It's like all of these, it's like death by a thousand cuts, right? It's not like a a wham up the side of the, the head with a two by four. It's these little teeny cuts that just take their toll over time. And what I think I, I realized at one point was that every time I would feel uh, enoughness, it was so fleeting. And again, I, I knew this and, and it's like just like a drug, like it's fleeting and that's why you get another hit. But I didn't have the awareness until I did. And I don't remember exactly when that was, probably 2009, 2010, when I really started getting into personal growth, that I was trying to find... Um, a finite answer to an infinite question, right? That there's some um, card that can be punched like a a parking validation thing or something and then I'm good and then then I'm enough. And so it was kind of the, it was the realization that I was continuing to chase something that didn't exist. I was continually, this is something I even realized in dating after my my marriage ended and I was trying to get back into the, you know, starting to get back in the dating pool. Of course, I'm still trying to get back in the dating pool. But but like when I first got into that, was that I That realized, may or may not be an open invitation for the audience. It may actually totally be an open invitation for the audience. Uh, so, God, this is going to go terribly wrong. I can already see it. Uh, sir, do not send me your boxers. Uh, okay, so... Uh, <laughs> so when I was getting back in the dating game though... I saw something happening where I was doing the same thing. Like when I would meet girls, I would be doing this thing to try to like get them to validate me. And, and what I realized was that two, twofold, two things that were happening there. Number one, I was trying to pass a test that didn't exist, right? I was trying to pass a test that didn't exist, first of all. And second of all, I was trying to pass a test 
that I would never make the girl pass. And it was so interesting to recognize that like, and this goes, this is kind of all encompassing for me. And, I, and I'd love to tell you a quick story about this actually is what I've realized is like, it is all on me. There's this, there's this picture um, uh, that I use in my keynotes and it's, um, it's, it's a little side by side picture. And I, I titled it in, um, before enlightenment and after enlightenment. I don't know if I've ever shown you this picture before. I'll, I'll show it to you at some point. Uh, and in the first picture, you see this little uh, Asian boy on the ground and he has like a grimace, like a really like sad, upset face. And there's a boot stepping on his head and it's like against the ground. And it's really, really sad. And then the next picture next to it, it's zoomed out and it's his hand inside the boot pushing the, the boot against his own face and now he's laughing, right? And so to me, that's like before enlightenment, after enlightenment. Before enlightenment, you think there's a boot on your face and you're sad. After enlightenment, you realize you're the one putting the boot on your face and it's hilarious. So, so for me, that's the game is like as much as possible, can I go back to remembering that I'm the one putting the boot on my face and, and then not be like still upset like, oh, I'm doing, I'm such an idiot. Why do I keep putting this boot on my face? But to laugh at myself and say, oh my God, this is hilarious. I'm doing that like ventriloquist thing again with this boot. And then thinking it's something outside of me doing it. So that's kind of the, the game for me that I started to recognize. And that now becomes my ongoing practice is to continue trying to be as conscious and aware as possible of when I'm putting a boot on my own face. And what would you say if you maybe just kind of put yourself in the space where on the other side of this Zoom call is yourself 10 years ago, 12 years ago, it sounds like 2008. And he pours his heart out and he tells you all the things he's upset with himself about, how he's not making his health a priority, how he is seeking all this external validation, but doesn't know how to change it and doesn't really know where to begin and is overwhelmed and, and just wants to cancel the call and never think about this again. What what would you tell him and, and what could that person do? You know, the, the thing that comes to mind for me, Skip, always uh, is compassion. You know, just like there was somebody who um, who came to me at one point uh, about a coach who came to me asking me, how, do, how should I coach this person around this thing they're going through? And it was just a really sad, dire thing that was happening in, in their, their family. And I uh, said, like, what, you know, what kinds of questions should you ask? Like, how would I move this person forward? Like, how would you coach them? And I said, the way I would coach them is to say, I'm really, really sorry you're going through this and I'm here for you in any way that I can be here for you. Like, it's, it's gonna be okay, we all know that, like platitude this, platitude that, motivational quote, but just at the end of the day, like, I just have a lot of compassion for what this feels like, that you're, what you're going through right now. And there's something about just being heard and not having somebody try to fix you, not having somebody try to tell you what you're doing wrong, even if it's from a loving place, um, but just to like be there in that space with somebody. So, and this is something I've done, right? Like doing inner child work and going back and talking to my younger self. And it's basically that conversation almost always looks like, hey, you know, little 16 year old JG, I know what you're doing right now with this girl that isn't responding to you the way you'd like her to. Um, I know what you're doing right now with like beating yourself up that this isn't working the way you want it to in business. Like I get what you're doing here. And I just want to let you know, like you don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. Like I know you had to when we were 16, but like we don't do that stuff here anymore. We're okay. So I'm gonna take care of this and I'm gonna take care of you. Like you're okay now, you get to just exhale, you get to breathe. 
And there's something really freeing about like looking at that version of myself. And sometimes it's even a much younger version. I have a picture of myself on my phone when I was like maybe five years old. And, and I picture, I have the picture, but even without the picture, I picture in my mind this picture of me and how joyful I look and how I know that even as a five-year-old, I was bringing so much joy into people's lives. And that wasn't for enoughness because my ego hadn't kicked in enough yet to know that I was doing that. It was really just pure unadulterated love and joy. And to like put his, his face in my hands and say like, you're still joy, you're still love. Like you're, you were amazing then, you're amazing now. And like, I've got your back. So you don't have to worry about anything. All the joy that you have now that's not encumbered by all this stuff that you're gonna learn about yourself as the years go on and all the limitations you're gonna start believing about yourself, the person you are right now is so perfect and I am committed to continuing to carry through the absolute perfection of your joyfulness and your playfulness and your peacefulness and your childlike wonder into all the stuff that I'm facing now as an adult. Wow. Profound. Again, pause the video. Watch the last three minutes again. Pause the video. Subscribe, like. Go do that. But dude, I this actually, is not, this is not know, easy so stuff, though. This is not easy stuff not. to do. Like, this is not like, this is why, like, I love the people, and this is literally no judgment, and this is not like a backhanded thing. I love the people who are like, oh, yep, I've got this nailed. Like, I don't even, I, I don't need to do this work anymore. It's just, I've nailed it. That's amazing. And I've met, I've met one person who I really believe does that, and it's Byron Katie. Um, I am not to Byron Katie's level yet. So for everybody else that's listening, listen, I've been in this industry now for almost a decade, and it's still something I'm working on on a day-by-day -day basis. So if for any reason you feel like, oh, well, I've been doing this for six months. Why is it still a problem? Or I've been doing it for five years. Why is it still a problem? Or I've been doing it for 10 years. Why is it still a problem? My invitation to you is, number one, compassion that you even care to look where 99% of the population wouldn't care to look. They just go on autopilot or thought pilot as I call it, and, and just kind of do their own thing. The fact that you even care is a big deal. The second part of this though, is that again, going back to the, it's not about, it's about navigation, not immunity, is I want to wake up every day knowing that I am living in the direction of the way I wanna feel, right? That, that is, that's a verb, it's not a noun, it's not a finish line that day by day I'm living in the direction of that. So if I'm, if I'm heading in this direction of like, I'm gonna, you know, not, I'm not gonna judge my anxiety, I'm not gonna judge my fear, I'm, I'm gonna practice self-love, whatever that looks like for me, I'm gonna have compassion for myself, and then something derails me, it's okay, because I'm still living overall, I'm living in the direction of that thing. So for anybody here listening who feels like this has been difficult, or you wish it would, it would have taken already, that's just not the way it works. It's, 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 um, it's a game we continue playing, just like Michael Jordan continued practicing his jump shot all the way through his career, and Steve Jobs was always working on the next innovation. You don't finish when it's a growth-based thing. And, and life is a growth-based thing, hence you, you will not finish. And to go back to what we said just before starting this recording was this beautiful Jane Goodall quote uh, that I just heard on the Tim Ferriss show this morning, which was... Uh, something paraphrasing that she's very excited for death because if there's nothing after life that's okay but if there's something what an adventure to be on and that being said um yeah self-love i i got this really clear picture when you said it's a navigation game not an immunity game 
And I want to offer up another analogy that maybe people will understand. I'm not sure if they will. So you guys can hit the dislike on the video if this doesn't work for you. Don't tell them to do that because that's a blanket <laughs> statement. If you want to, if you want to. I mean, if you like, if you like Jason and if you like me, you can hit the like button like 17 times. I used to do this thing called MAT and it's called muscle activation techniques is wonderful practice. And I used to essentially help people heal uh, injuries and long-term muscle problems. And what happened over time as I got more educated and more experienced is I would actually revolve my clients a lot faster. I would see people for in the beginning, maybe three months to six months to help them with whatever they were working through. And as I got better, I got to like the mastery level of the technique, took years of intense study. It would be five sessions with someone, four sessions with someone. And it got to a point where people would... Um, I got somewhat famous in my community because people would come for an hour or 30 minutes and issues that may, they may have been dealing with for, for a decade or two decades would, um, the at least the symptomatic stuff would clear up in those 20 or 30 minutes. And I always felt uh, pressure and stress before going into any session with a new person because I didn't know what I would be expecting and I didn't know how hard it was going to be. And a lot of these people were very high profile. By the time I got that good, it was like professional athletes, uh, billion dollar CEOs, really incredible people were, were coming to see me as a practitioner. And I was so nervous before every session that I would actually sweat uh, through the clothes I was wearing, going to this person's house or gym or whatever they wanted to meet me at. And it was just really intense and it, and it started to get overwhelming, which is why I stopped doing it as much. But it got easier over time and here's why. And I think this is similar to help people understand what you're trying to say with personal development in life is right before I would go into a session with a new person, even in a recurring client, sometimes I get nervous and I would just breathe and say every single person you've helped hundreds or thousands of people at this point have given you the experience and the knowledge and the confidence you need to help this person today. And I took it very seriously because a lot of these people, some of them were like in um, potentially a crisis of, of dying if some of these things didn't clear up. And they had exhausted so many other options, so many other doctors that they could have gone to. I wasn't a doctor. So many people and, and chances that just hadn't worked for them. And I knew I was one of their last hopes. And so there's a ton of pressure, a ton of responsibility on my shoulders. But I took that and just breathed with it and just said like, it's never going to get easy. Like that was never going to get easy for me, but I had gotten to a point of experience and a point of diligence and navigation to where I'd always be able to figure it out. I had confidence that no matter what, I wouldn't quit on this person, on whatever they needed to do. If they quit, if they stopped, like that's a totally different thing out of my control, but I wouldn't. And that's what allowed me to become who I was in that industry and in that time of my life. So I hope that gives more illustration of the navigation versus immunity like it was never like I was going to be perfect it was never that I was gonna be able to solve everything instantly it was I had more experience and more practice and more dedication and confidence and I think that's what practicing mindfulness can do for people and, and looking at the gifts and looking at the shadows and you you know just accept now uh, that you're going to have experiences that are going to put you through ups and downs and after you go through enough of these it may start to stabilize. The ups may not be as high 
like you said, you may never be like, oh my God, I'm unstoppable. You may never get to that point anymore after you've been through enough. You may be jaded in some ways. And in another way, you'll never get as low, hopefully, as you once did because you'll be like, oh no, this is just the cycle. And that's that's a beautiful thing too. I love that, dude. That it's such a yeah, it's such a practical, real concrete example. I, I really love that. And 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 something else that just kind of came to me at the end of what you were saying there, um, because I love what you said, is sometimes I, and it's funny, I forgot about this. This was actually a conversation I ended up having for the first time just randomly while we were in Croatia, actually. I remember the exact person, the exact place I was when this happened. And and I was talking to this person who was just feeling really, really, really low. And we all know what that feels like to be really, really low. And I could sense it, and of course I was just in this place of compassion. And I asked her, I said, have you ever felt like nobody's, nobody's listening, it's just me and you, I'm not gonna judge you, nobody's gonna say anything, nobody's ever gonna know about this, and I mean, you don't know who she is, so it's still confidential. Have you ever felt godlike? And she's like, what do you mean? I was like, have you ever felt like a, like a freaking god? Like maybe it's in your work, or like you know, in a, in a speech, or in a conversation, you were just like, damn, I am good. Like I am like, I'm kinda godlike, like I am the shit of this, this is my thing. <laughs> And she was, even in her down moment, she's like, yeah, totally. I mean, there, there have been times I felt kind of godlike, like where I just was like the shit. I'm like, awesome. There's no possibility to feel like a god unless you also have the capacity to feel like you're worthless. That polarity has to exist. So if you want to be able to ever feel like you have godlike moments, you have to be okay with having feeling like you're worthless. And it's just this continuum and neither of them is real. When you feel godlike, it's it's a fabrication. I remember a friend of mine I was talking to who was a coach, and he was telling me he had just signed this new client, and this new client was the CEO of a fabrication company. And I said, aren't we all kind of CEOs of fabrication companies? <laughs> like, that's what we do all day, every day. We're just fabricating crap all day, right? So if it's all fabricated anyways, then it's like, cool, sometimes I feel like a god, sometimes I feel worthless, and it's all BS. And, and this is why, and you know this about me, this is why my favorite Avenger character and my Avenger avatar in, in the Avengers is Deadpool because Deadpool is the only comic book character that knows he's in a comic book. He's the only one that knows it's all BS, mm. that none of it's real. That's why he breaks the fourth wall and talks to the audience. And if all of us, myself included, could, could work on being 5% more aware that we're in a comic book or you know on this spinning rock or in a computer simulation, which I believe there's some truth to all of that stuff, uh, then it allows us to maybe not take these things so seriously and, and, and even more powerfully not to be so hard on ourselves. If, if there was one piece of suffering that I could remove from the planet, it would be how effing hard we are on ourselves. I'm just going to let that silence sit for a minute. That really gets me, man. It really does. Like it, that really, that really, yeah. That like almost gets me into like angry like an activist, not angry like a drunk. Um, it, yeah, that, that really hits me a lot. And it's why I do what I do. Like you know this about me that my, my one-line business plan is I want to leave everybody I meet with at least 5% more joy than I found them. It's actually not fully true. If I'm being completely honest and completely transparent, my goal is to leave everybody I meet with 5% less suffering than when I found them. That doesn't sound as fun for people. But that's really what I'm going for, right? It's to help remove some kind of suffering. And is it because I care so much about humanity and all this stuff? Sure, in part. The other part of it is that I know what it feels like to suffer and I know how terrible it feels and I can't stand to think there are other people feeling the way that I have felt and for me not to do anything about it.
What's the first step on the journey you'd recommend someone take right now after listening to this? So the first thing that comes up for me, and the reason I'm pausing is because I'm trying to see if there's a, the the thing that I want to say, I'm going to say, but it may not work for everybody right now. So, so maybe we'll, maybe we'll go one level deeper. We'll see here if you're cool with that. The most powerful coaching I ever received in my life was from my coach. He's still my coach. He's been my coach for years, a guy named Steve Chandler. And I remember this time four or so years ago, three, uh, four years ago, uh, I emailed him this long, just long thing about all these things. I, I'm just so stressed and I don't know about this. And like, I want to invest money in this thing, but like, what if it doesn't pay off? And like, I want to create this thing, but what if nobody signs up? And, and I just, and I went through, and I'm just like going in circles. And I sent him this literally probably like a three page, like a three page word document basically, which is like, you know, 750 words. This is like, you know, a blog post. And I sent it to him. And then I kind of like breathe a sigh and I'm just like exhausted from writing all this stuff. And, and I know he's going to respond back and give me some like really profound wisdom and, and pump me up and be my cheerleader and help me find the way out and all this, this stuff. And he wrote back and his email had 10 words in it, 10 words, 10 of the most powerful words I've ever heard in succession. And to this day, still the most powerful coaching I've ever received. And the 10 words were so much compassion for what you are putting yourself through. And there was something about that moment where he said, so much compassion for what you're putting yourself through. Like, it, I don't even know if that's going to land for everybody. It land, Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's exactly it, dude. It is, it is the hand inside the boot against the face again. And the reason I said that may not land for everybody is because what I don't want that to be is an invitation for you to guilt and shame yourself, right? So for me to say like, oh, I really have a lot of compassion for what you're putting yourself through. That's not meant to be like a, a snide remark. It's not meant to ridicule you or trivialize what you're going through. It yeah, is- because you knew this this guy really loved you and you knew he read every word and you knew that you spent so much time writing it. Totally. So so for me, that really landed. So, so if that doesn't land for you um, and you feel any sense of like guilt or shame or self-judgment around that, then I guess the precursor to that is is literally just to to be with those things and welcome them to the table. Like we were talking about doing the recess meditation, right? Just to not be in resistance. Don't worry about solving it. Don't worry about fixing it. Don't worry about which book you should read, which, read which coach you should hire, which YouTube video you should watch, which motivational speaker you should listen to. Don't worry about the doing part. Just really asking yourself, can I just be with this thing? And like for five minutes, and if five minutes doesn't work, do one minute. I, I am such a proponent of like doing the doable and not like trying to do something impossible. Whatever the doable is for you, allowing yourself to be with and not be in resistance to whatever you're feeling to me is the first step. And I want to add to that with something that I feel like I learned at least in part because of your just experience in my life and, and what I've learned just talking with you over the over the past couple of years that I think will take this into a a very practical level for people, which is when I'm in those moments where, I mean, sometimes, and this is pretty regular for me now, and I could talk on a whole nother episode about why this happens regularly to me, but I feel incredibly inspired. Like I mentioned on the Stefanos podcast as a real life example for him to talk me through, there almost every night right now, 
at midnight when I know I should be sleeping, I'm working because I, I, there's just so much inspiration and there's just so much, I don't know, like I just have so much energy right now. I don't know where it's coming from, but there's just so much that wants to come through, uh, you know, the editing and, and the work. And I just have so many ideas and I, it's just unparalleled in my life. Like right now is a blast happening. And there's also in the last few months, not now, but in the last few months, very recently, I've been sitting in bed for three hours doing nothing or scrolling Instagram or Facebook with zero ideas of, of what I really want to do and, and zero inspiration, you know, negative inspiration. Like I want to consume other people's stuff and I'm not even like thinking about it. I'm just mindlessly consuming. And something that you've had an impact on my life is, is exactly not judging myself for that not feeling bad about those times. I, if anything, I feel good about it because I'm like, hey, like I've got all this inspiration. I created all this stuff and, you know, my my mind and my spirit want to break now. And if that means like binge watching Netflix with the family, then that's what it means. And and even on the times where I am inspired and the family wants to binge watch Netflix, like I'll do some of that with them where before I would never allow myself the time. And now I'm like, you know, it's okay. And I think the way that it goes in my head now after being exposed to you is when those moments are happening and I feel that pull to like, let's go do work. Like I've, I'm giving you some inspiration. Let's go. And I stay and watch Netflix with them anyways. Or I, I go outside for a long walk with no headphones or anything. And I'm just doing it for me and, and I'm not contributing to the world at that moment. It used to be really hard for me to take that time. And now I see that time as like, the more of that I do in a way of like self-love and I let that also be self-love, like I let the work be loving on myself and I love, uh, I let Netflix be the love on myself, the more I know the inspiration will come through later and I just trust that. And even if it doesn't come through later, I just laugh at it anyways. I'm like, oh, I guess, guess I was wrong about that. It's, that's okay though, you know, because I just know these ups and downs will happen. And just knowing that over a longer period of time, like any good investor, I can just diversify my outputs and I can diversify my expectations where I don't need to be cranking at 100%. And if I plan that I'm going to be cranking at 100% in all work categories forever, I'm going to get my expectations way too high and I'm going to get let down by myself, which is going to you know, have this cycle of not self-love. And so I just say, Sometimes I'm going to be super inspired and sometimes I'm going to watch Netflix for three days and that's okay. Yep. It's so, it's so powerful and that's, and it's the thing. It's like, oh man, I just, again, it's just, I, I know as humans, we just complexify life so much and it's like this level, there's a difference between like acceptance and like, um, condoning or, or not taking responsibility for whatever. It's, it's not that. It's about saying like, yes, I am making a choice right now that I am going to binge watch Netflix. And in the grand scheme of my life, that's okay. And I can't tell you how many people, not, from, not for that particular thing, but how many people like that we've, that we've coached in our programs where they, there's something they wanna do and they haven't done it. And we'll, coach, we'll try to coach them through it and a week later, two weeks later, they still haven't done it. And we go, okay, new approach. For the next two weeks, you're not allowed to work on it. Two days later, it's done. 
right? <laughs> as soon as it's okay, as soon as you accept that it's okay, all of the mental energy that's leaking, trying to manage the open loop of why you have, why you're such an idiot, or why you you're self-sabotaging again, or why can't you be more committed, or why aren't you disciplined like your mother, brother, father, sister, whatever? As soon as that energy is recaptured, it's amazing what we'll decide to do. It's amazing. And and I like as with everything, every conversation I've ever had with Jason has been incredible. This is no exception. This is on this is on the top 5% of conversations I've ever had with Jason. And I want to close with a thought and then ask you a last question. And this thought that you just brought up, I think, is that the same way we started this conversation, talking about the recess meditation and the difference with that and the nap time meditation, is why don't you just consider having a recess-based life rather than a nap time-based life? And just everything's welcome and I'm going to get what I want at some point or not. And that's okay. And just, you know, obviously choose what you want to go after and take the strides to, to get the things that you want. And, and it's okay if you don't. And, and things are going to change all the time. Yep. It's so true. I think we're getting a huge wake up call to that right now with people realizing that they can get by with a lot less than they thought they could. And there may be a recalibration here where instead of living completely uh, focused on external means to feel like we're enough, we're being forced, not forced, people don't have to do it. Uh, those who have maybe been a little open to this are really now exploring the fact that the external stuff is not what makes us enough. And, uh, and I think that goes right in, right in line with this. It's, it's such a, it, it almost sounds trite because everybody says it. But it's one thing to get it here, and then it's one thing to have it travel the longest 18 inches in the world from your head to your heart, right? That's like the longest journey in the world is that, that 18 inches. Uh, and I feel like there is, there is some kind of consciousness shifting in the world right now where it's starting to take that journey for a lot more people. Um, and I, I would love that. I would love to see more of that in myself as well, not just them out there. Uh, I would love to see more of that for myself, and I've been practicing more of that as well through this whole kind of unprecedented time. So yeah, dude, recess life. Let's do Forget recess lighting. We're going to do recess lifing. <laughs> I love it. Let's, let's, let's turn that into a brand. I love let's that. <laughs> so last question, uh, for the people that fall in love with you, uh, during this, where can they find you? Where can they stalk you? Well, it depends if there's single females between a certain age range, they can find me. I'll give you my address. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'll put the phone number in the, on the screen right now. Well, no, shouldn't they go for you first? Shouldn't you screen for me? You know me. You know me better than anybody. That's true. It's going to be like Deadpool 2 with the X-Force applications. (laughs) That actually would be awesome. Uh, Best place to find me, uh, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Everything is at the Jason Goldberg, T-H-E, the Jason Goldberg, the Jason Goldberg, if you want to be extra pretentious. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm always sharing stuff there and and, uh, happy to continue that conversation. Beautiful. Well, thank you for coming on the show. I hope we can catch up uh, even more very soon. And I'm, I'm just so grateful that you came in and like this whole interview is just fire. This is, this is an incredible conversation to have on camera. I'm so grateful. Well, I'm super grateful. Thank you for inviting me on. Thank you for always having such creative and innovative ways to serve and to bring people together in community. That's one of your absolute superpowers is bringing together Avengers, whether it's official or unofficial. Um, and uh, just love the way you show up in the world and just grateful, grateful that you're my homie, man. I love you, dude. Love you too. Love you too. Okay, talk, right, soon. talk soon.